0: Hello, welcome to you don't know MoJack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brandt. And this episode, put on your headbands and rev up your old Ford Pintos because it's SST Two Hundred, the Paper Bag Music to Trash LP. It's our third Paper Bag LP on the show. Always a really interesting listen and amazing players, amazing creativity, and there is no bag that these guys could not play out of, Mm -hmm. and. To help us along on the paper bag story, we've got a special guest, Brent. Yeah,
1: we've got Greg Seagull back on the show.
0: Part of the Two Timers Club, hey? Yep. Excellent. We had Greg on the show on episode 170, the A Land Without Fences LP. So super excited to have Greg along for the ride. I, uh, I always feel so fortunate to get that insight from people who were actually there. It really makes it an even more enjoyable listen but as you mentioned in the interview, this is this is a really really good paper bag record. It is it is kind of like the pinnacle of paper bags. So really interested to get into that. Yeah. But before we do that, it's our two hundredth episode, and you gave us homework last week.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the homework was I don't know what we're calling it. I said five records that blew you away from episode one hundred to two hundred. Uh huh. And the rules are. No fire hose, no descendants, no sonic youth, no Minutemen, no bad brains, no black flag, no hooskers, no pops, no screaming trees. right. And I said,
0: oh, that's going to be easy not easy. It was really easy not to choose one of the prohibited bands yeah. but when I was going through the list, there was so many I that I wanted to choose from that's what made it hard. yeah, I know same same for me. yeah so how do you want to do this? you first? You first. You always put me first. So you want to ridic- ridicule me as I list them out. I, I, well, I, no, I want to see if there's any crossover. Okay. So what was it? Blew me away or blew my mind? Both? Sure. Yeah. So some of these are old favorites, though. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, good. I just, I want to get that ridicule out of the way, potential ridicule. So here we go. And I kind of did it from oldest to newest. Uh, So the first one for me is SST-104, the self-titled Blind Idiot God LP. Yep. Awesome. Just awesome. Uh, Next for me is SST-111, the Angst Mystery Spot LP. Yep. Knew that one would be in there. And I think I know one of your other ones too. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, SST-126, the Treacherous Jaywalkers Sunrise 12-inch. That is a part of my DNA. I have to mention that one. Yep. SST-162, the self-titled Sister Double Happiness LP. Love that. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that record. And then my fifth, SST-164, These Immortal Souls, Get Lost, Don't Lie LP. Those are my five. And it was really hard not to pick some of the other ones like Divine Horseman, The Last, Das Damen, Zug's Rift. There were just tons. I thought for sure Tar Babies was going to be in there for you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Definitely a contender, but when I'm looking back over the last 100 episodes, which are the ones that blew me away, even if I knew them, those are my top five. Yeah.
1: So many to choose from. Zoogs. Yeah. Blind Idiot God. Pell Mel. Yeah, right. Brian Ritchie. uh, Scott D. of Colby. Mm. Universal Congress of. Blast. Blood on the Saddle. Negative Land. Glenn Phillips. Sylvia Junkoza. That live Saccharin album. Mm -hmm. That Ruth and Smear record's really good. That Steve Fisk, Swa, Evolution could have been in there for me. Mofungo, Trotsky, Vitus. But here's here's my top five. Okay. I I don't think any of these will probably surprise you. In no particular order. 103, Opal, Happy Nightmare Baby. Yep. 140, Divine Horseman, Snake Handler. Yep. 162, Sister Double Happiness, self-titled. There we go. 189, The Last Confession. Oh, no way. Nice. And 192, Run Westy Run, Hardly Not Even.
0: Ah, yeah. Yeah. None of those are surprises for you. Actually, I really thought you would have Blast in your list. That must have came really close. So many did, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got you.
1: Cool. All right, Ryan, let's do some spielage, man. Spielage? Do it. Okay. My spiel for episode 200 is called Ryan's Recommend Roundup. Are you ready? More recommends that you dislike? These are recommends (laughs) you made in the last 100 episodes.
0: All right, all right.
1: Okay, uh, here's a good one. Party Dictator, Worldwide, 1992. Dead Eye Productions, German noise rock that rules pretty hard. There's a song on here called uh, Road that sounds like Big Black playing Fears, We Destroy the Family
0: party dictator awesome
1: how does this one compare to the second one on roadrunner
0: they're both good but i recommended the best one for you it was it was one of those days where i randomly put it on and i'm like oh i don't think i've ever mentioned this to brandt listen to this now so good i'm glad you did
1: what about the bands they formed later snob club or terra flop have you heard either of those bands no good i don't know okay i don't know Okay, uh, Three Penny Opera, self-titled, 1999, Mm -hmm. Trouble Mm -hmm. Man, records from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. It's good, melodic, post-hardcore. It sounds like the 90s to me. Not the kind of thing I usually seek out on my own, but I was digging it. Pre-Mets,
0: right? Pre-Mets.
1: Yeah, probably a bad comparison, but it reminded me a bit of the Discord band Blue Tip.
0: Yeah, they would definitely fit on the bill together. Yeah. 3PO was killer. I never got to see them, but I knew that that scene was really vibrant and uh, 3PO were like right at the middle of it. Daisy, the hum of Daisy on oh. Planned Obsolescence. Yeah, yeah. We're going to Athens. Nice.
1: Yeah. Looks like maybe that was their label. Yep, yeah, like you said, formed in Athens, Georgia in 1989. Their only album, released in 1992, produced by Michael Stipe and Dave Barb. This is Good great mm-hmm. songs, noisy guitars, bit of a psychedelic vibe, but you know, poppy songs, not dissimilar speaking of Opal to, you know, Dream Syndicate or Rain Parade at times. Mm-hmm. If they would have been from the Pacific Northwest, they would have been on Pop Llama for sure. Yeah. Okay, speaking of Athens, Georgia, the one and done debut of Barbecue Killers. Comely. Nice. This is good noisy punk rock. Laura Carter's vocals fit the music perfectly. Yeah. Total standout on that athens georgia inside out documentary for me mm-hmm. uh i have not checked out you know some of the other bands that they're associated with like laura's Jack and Nuts, but they're on my to-do list for sure now
0: yeah well daisy is one of them so
1: yeah minutes roland 2013 oh, yeah. album from kalamazoo yeah michigan this band uh it's released through this kind of collective called Michigan Independence Network. They have a band camp, both the collective and the band. Did you see, Ryan, that they have an album out from last year, though?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I ordered it from Comedy Minus One.
1: Okay. And their band camp says, quote, We're all solidly in our 30s. The band was started as an outlet for songs written by all members of the band. Maybe that's why their sound is a bit varied stylistically. Like, it is cohesive, don't get me wrong, but there's lots to really dig into. It's got a bit of the lo-fi thing happening, maybe a bit of Super Chunk, or even like some of the 90s East Coast Canadian murder records bands. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Okay, William Parker, Mayan Space Station. Oh, yeah. Yeah, New York City-based jazz bassist who... uh, you know, seems to be predominantly on the avant-garde, experimental, free jazz side of things most times. You know, Charles Gale, Matthew Shipp, Peter Brotzman, those are some of the musicians that he's played with. Tons more. Uh, this one is just a ripping trio. Gerald Cleaver on drums, Ava Mendoza just mm-hmm. playing her ass off on guitar. I've mm-hmm. mentioned her before, I think, in relation to uh, her cool band Unnatural Ways, who have a great album on Zadig. Part of
0: why I recommended it for you, yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, just really great jazz rock from 2021. one. Mm-hmm. There you go, Ryan's Recommend Roundup.
0: Wow, all positive, nicely done. Yep. All right, is it my turn? Your turn. Okay, so you know what we do every 100 episodes, Brandt? Are you going to serenade me, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> we do our top five Brant quotes of the last 100 episodes.
1: With musical accompaniment.
0: Yes, I will need to get my thunder broom. Now, hang on. Before I go through the top five Brant quotes of the last 100 episodes, do you remember the top five Brant quotes of our first 100 episodes? (laughs) Uh, Probably. Don't quote me on that. I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's number one. Yeah. (laughs) What else? Uh, Spielzy, Bubba. Das Spiels. Okay. Fret melter. Yeah. And this is very apt, given your your preceding spiel here. Here's a recommendation, Ryan, but not for you. <laughs> right. Those, those would be your top five of the first 100. Now, hang on a second here. i got to get my thunder broom. This is going to make a bit of noise. Hang on. Okay. Jeez, man, you need a road crew or something. I know, right? Okay. Here come the tubes. All right. So, top five Brant quotes of the last 100 episodes, live from the studio, <laughs> and now bear with me, okay? This is this is uh, no overdubs, and I'm playing the bass and guitar parts at the same time. <laughs> All right? Giving paper bag a run for their money here. Yeah. yeah. And I thought I would do this song because the last 100 episodes has been a bit of a, a tour spiel. Okay. treasure trove. (laughs) Just tearing it up. (laughs) for sure
1: <laughs> There you go man. Nice one man. Yeah, when we when we both say for sure at the same time. Oh, for sure. That's like as good as it gets.
0: It is. Yeah. So, I had uh some runner-ups. You want to know the runner-ups? Sure. Okay, quick these are the runner-ups from uh, Brant's top quotes. Uh, the first one I had here was Hanoi Rocks. That's <laughs> that's one of your uh, most famous quotes. The other one I had was Phil Lesh. I think you say the words Phil Lesh about once every 5.7 episodes. <laughs> and then uh, your other quote, very similar to uh, Don't Quote Me On That. Yeah, I might be wrong about that. <laughs> Very similar. There you go, man. Looking forward to the next one, Hundo. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right. And it's probably time to start this off by having the fat lady sing.
1: Don't have a crack attack, Ryan. (laughs)
2: History lesson, part one.
0: All right. So we've got Greg on the show, which is just awesome again. I mean, and you guys go through this record in detail. It's a real, real treat. But as I mentioned, we've had a paper bag on before we had them on for SST 76, the Ticket to Trauma LP, and they were also on the No Age Comp, SST 102, and then most recently, SST 170, A Land Without Fences with Greg Siegel. And this is... An awesome album by Paper Bag. I will say that they were kind of a mystery, kind of a new thing to me. Now on this release, um, it's really it's really making sense, and there's some amazing tracks on this record.
1: Yeah, yeah, glad I got to go through them with with Greg because, you know, it's one thing for you and I to talk about Run Westy Run songs, for example, right? Because they're you know they're pretty straightforward rock songs at the end of the day. These, like every song has a story behind it. It's like, it's like negative land or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, unless you're in on it, I mean, it's, it's also cool because if you're not in on it, you can kind of make up your own story for what's Mm -hmm. going on. You can guess what instrument it is, as you said in the interview, and as I did for the, the last week listening to this record, but it's great to hear it. From Greg as well to go, oh man, I was totally wrong there. <laughs> That's good too, right? Yeah.
1: Okay, I'll give you a little uh, recap here though, Ryan. Formed in 1983 by brothers Greg and Mark Siegel. Mark's most often credited as M. Siegel. Mm-hmm. Various lineup changes followed, but by 1985, you know, they solidified the lineup with the one we know uh, and began releasing cassettes. That's M. Siegel on drums and percussion. Greg Siegel on guitar, George Radai on bass, Kenny Ryman on keyboards and effects. Of course, they all played multiple instruments, but we'll expand on on some of that in the interview and when you and I discuss the tracks. But those were their kind of primary instruments. As the tagline, sometimes attached to their name, suggests, Improvisational Hmm. Music Company, their music was 100% improvised. In a nutshell, they would move through the musicians in a clockwise rotation, with each musician becoming the, the kind of composer-conductor of a piece. Mm-hmm. Here's from their uh, Paperbagtheory.com website. Paperbag's third release is probably its most definitive, the only one of the four that was ever available on CD. It gave us an unprecedented opportunity to show the full range of the band. Paper Bag always improvised in a wide range of styles, and almost all of them are represented here over the course of 25 pieces. There seems to be an underlying theme of mortality and loss scattered throughout the album. It was not planned that way, but it's almost difficult not to notice it. He's referencing Ryan to uh, the readings or spoken word uh, poetry pieces that the various members contribute to some of the tracks. Here's from an LA Times article from 1989 on improvising. They call themselves four valley dudes who practice the purest form of musical democracy. They also call themselves paper bag, as in music that once perfected and performed is easily disposable. They won't play the same song twice, ever. They probably couldn't, even if they tried. (laughs) To plan a song, even a chord, runs counter to their quest for unrestrained musical freedom. So, as I mentioned in the interview, the full album is up on Greg's Bandcamp. So if you don't own it and you want to follow along, you can do so there. The uh, little write-up that he does on the album there says, Paper Bag played nothing but short, improvised music for six years. We picked up our instruments and went for it. So everything you hear is live, no overdubs. I feel this is the band's most complete statement. It took the length of a CD to show our many sides, something I don't feel any single length album could have done. If you listen to this one clear through, you'll have as good an idea of what we were about as is possible without seeing us live. I stipulate that because it was common for people familiar with our recorded work to still not entirely get what we did until they saw the process in action. I get that. Yeah. So this came out in 1988 on CD and cassette. 25 tracks, 72 minutes of music engineered by Phil Newman of Painted Willy fame. Rest in peace, Phil, at his studio Spinhead based in North Hollywood. Performed March 6th through 10th, 1988, and as always, they specify no overdubs.
0: Recorded live. Very cool.
1: Shall we throw it over to Greg? We shall. We must. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Greg Siegel. Greg, thanks for being on the show.
2: No, my pleasure.
1: All right, you're part of our two timers club, Greg. Very exclusive. <laughs> Very exclusive. So, music to trash. So we're going back to Spinhead for this one. Yeah. Something about Spinhead. Maybe it was like just the amount of time you could get at Spinhead.
2: Well, uh, it was sort of the the SST studio, you know. Everybody pretty much went there because Phil was was on the label, and you know it was sort of their in house studio, which was fine because it was great, mm-hmm. great studio.
1: Now, was this one live to two two track? I think I think the previous one was.
2: It was this one was uh, twenty four track, so we were able to uh, mix it this time. Uh, there really wasn't. It was like one piece where we added a little bit of reverb, but everything else was just getting levels and
1: It says that you recorded march sixth sixth through tenth nineteen eighty eight so I'm assuming you crammed in some radio sets
2: Yes, we did actually everything put together we were we were there close to a month. oh wow yeah, quite an experience that was that was great. I don't actually even remember how many radio sets we got in, but I do know we were there a long time. And it was it was a bit grueling, but it was the kind that everybody liked because we'd be there. We'd get there in the afternoon and leave in the middle of the night pretty much and all had straight jobs, so you get up and you go to work. And, you know, we had the opportunity to uh, either sleep between work and, and the studio or eat usually so uh, wow Are now are you tearing down gear every night no that was the beauty of it we just left everything set up once we got it sound checked it's just there we come back there it is so we we had it pretty much blocked out nobody else was coming in
1: weird to me like i've probably asked you this last time we talked given the amount of material SST was cranking out at this time and the amount of stuff you guys were creating, I'm surprised that either a there's not more SST paper bag releases or that you weren't self-releasing more material on tapes or anything like that.
2: Well, the tapes might've been a good idea, but the radio sets were good publicity. And so the majority of stuff that got recorded, um, was still going out in one form or another, and there's an awful lot of stuff that was good that didn't make it to the CD. And as far as more stuff from SST, as you probably better than most would know, uh, they sure were releasing a lot of stuff. So they could only give us so many, so many releases. In fact, we were kind of surprised that they handed us the opportunity to do the CD. So closely after uh, A Land Without Fences but that was because they wanted to have a band to experiment with making a CD because I hadn't done that before so mm. okay. uh, they picked
1: us yeah. they, they weren't putting out CDs prior to this?
2: I don't believe so I think they tried it with us and when they saw that it could work that's when they started cranking up the the CD releases. Interesting. At least that's the w- yeah, that's the way I understand it. I, I don't think they had done it before.
1: You reference a few things like, uh, I think it's on your band camp, you say, if you listen to this one clear through, you'll have a good, as good an idea of what we were about as is possible without seeing us live. And you you've also referred to it as the band's most complete statement. I think probably the length of it factors into that maybe.
2: Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, you could get a pretty good idea if you listen to the first two. You know, you put those together, but on a single release, it's it really covers a lot of ground, and it there's does. a lot of different uh, pieces, and so we were really able to to kind of put it out there.
1: hmm Yeah, it definitely is varied. Yeah. Uh, now, is this one complete session, or is it kind of like you know, your favorite pieces or whatever you felt flowed together from the March 6th
2: through 10th? It was our our favorite pieces or, or the ones we thought, was, there's always the time constraints, so we had to pick enough of the good ones that would fit on a CD without, um, without blocking out a bunch of the other ones. There was a, a really good, there were a couple of really good long ones. Mm-hmm. but taking them would mean dumping a bunch of the other ones. In, and we weren't willing to do that. So. Right. But
1: like when you're doing the radio sets, those are more like a live show where it's like, okay, this is the radio set for this station and go. And then you record it start to finish kind of thing. Right. Okay. Yeah.
2: And this was more like the original tapes we put out or like uh, ticket to trauma, which was taken from a bunch of different sessions. We, we picked the things we liked the best and sequenced them, and that, that was our album. OK.
1: Yeah, because if I'm remembering it right, A Land Without Fences was more like a radio set.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, now, we still had to pick and choose, because in the initial recording, there were a couple of mistakes. Now, we also recorded way more than we were going to use. I think, uh, I think it's like an hour and a half, two hours. And so we still had to do, but a bunch of the things that we really liked had technical problems because it was the first time any of us, including Phil, had used, uh, I guess it was a DAT machine. And so digital recording and analog recording are two totally different beasts. And if you, you can overdrive um, an analog recording. You can saturate the tape. But if you do that with a digital recording, all you get are these horrible, nasty clicks and pops. And because of that, we were we were going to, for much lower levels. And what happened there was we kind of did it too well. So there was stuff we couldn't use for that reason. We had microphones cutting out, but 24-track we didn't. We didn't have that problem, so that
1: was good. You got me thinking about mistakes, though, because I, I realize you're talking about technical mistakes. But what about in a song? What if everyone is like super big on a take and it's great, but some did it ever get to the point where someone was just too hung up on a on something they played personally?
2: Um. Yeah, that that could happen. It almost happened to me once on this uh, disc. Uh, but most of us were, were willing, because it's just so much of a hazard doing this kind of thing. So most of us were willing to kind of look at it from a total perspective. You go, well, how's the piece overall? Mm-hmm. And most of the time... We would just deal with it because that—that was the rule. You you either take it or leave it. There's there's nothing else. There's no you can do overs, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about these tracks. So, sure. Uh, the fat lady sings. That literally, I'm assuming there's a fat lady singing. I hear a bicycle horn, <laughs> and I
2: no.
1: and I and I have to ask who DJ Swedish Eagle is.
2: Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, the fat lady singing is uh, that's Kenny using, uh, I think, an opera record Mm -hmm. and he made a loop of it. So uh, this is on a this is on
1: a turntable or it's on a because I know he used turntables.
2: He used turntables. He used multiple delays. He used actual tape loop machines. He used cassettes, endless cassettes. I mean, gigantic setup. Yeah. So, I I couldn't really tell you which, but it is looped. So I don't know what machine he did it in, but, um, and so yeah, that's a that's an opera loop. But the funny thing about this is, this is our uh, sense of humor at work here. It was the very last thing we did, and it was it got its title because it, I think it was a Babe Ruth quote: "The opera ain't over till the fat lady sings." and that's, so we thought, all right, well, let's put that right at the beginning then. And we do, we almost had no tape left. So we had to make it really short and, uh, put it at the beginning. Uh, as for the Swedish Eagle, he had a show on, uh, popular local, uh, show, uh, popular local station, um, KROQ. And, uh, if you really liked the piece, it was short enough. So he opened a show with it every, every night. Yeah. We've got Norman's dance party.
1: So I'm assuming Mark would have started this rotation. It starts with drums. So that's usually an indication to me anyways, but I, I could have that wrong.
2: That can change. I mean, if it's, you know, somebody's rotation and they nod to somebody else, then that changes things. And that actually happened a lot. Uh, with with everybody's rotations, but um, yeah, it's likely that uh, that it was Mark's. I don't have any specific memory of, of whose it was. Mm-hmm.
1: About 30 seconds into this one there's kind of a shift. Speaking of mistakes, it almost sounds like a mistake, it, and I think it's George. It's either intentional or it's a mistake. I can't tell which, but it kind of shifts the the accent that he's that he's playing on the beat. Do you know what I mean?
2: I do, and we did that kind of thing all the time. Because hmm. we were we were aware of it, and we always had fun with it. We used to rehearse mixed meters, so that one guy would be in seven, somebody else would come in in five, somebody would do the offbeat. Don't get me wrong, there are always mistakes. It's just almost everything we ever did has a few uh, clams in it. But uh, I don't see think I don't recall there being one in the beginning. Yeah, it does sometimes you are you get surprised by what somebody else hears. It works. Right. But it's not what you started off with. You you started off with one thing in mind. Somebody else hears it a different way and then everybody has to adjust.
1: Okay. Who's Norman?
2: Uh Norman Bates. Uh huh. Because the whole thing sounded kind of psycho. (laughs) Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, All men are cattle. So we've got George kind of bringing the funk on this one. You're on drums, I believe, on this song?
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Did you do that Um, often, switching up like that? Not too
2: often, but I had been a drummer for a long time. It actually was my main instrument. Before I switched to guitar, uh, Mark's kit was not always the easiest for me to play because he, we have totally different setups. His is much—it's—it's it's geared for a more heavy hitter, which mm-hmm. which he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, we would do it occasionally. Now that one I know is Mark's because he's doing the poetry. Right. If he's doing, whoever's doing the poetry, most of the time, you know it's theirs.
1: Mark's poem sounds like a real life character that he maybe knew. <laughs>
2: Uh, again, he did plenty of that, but he also made stories up around a, a point of view. And he's he was, I mean, I've never known him to be to be depressed, much less uh, suicidal. So it's it's something he made up because he'll he'll think of something he thinks is funny and and go along with it. And, you know, most of us had the same sense of humor. So, but one thing the album has, and I, I didn't think of it at all when we were recording it but afterwards i noticed that there's this big fat streak of mortality (laughs) running through the whole album including that including putting the fat lady sings up front it's just that everybody in the band was kind of like going through some some heavy changes when it was except except george but the other three of us were kind of in an odd headspace and i think it came through in music without meaning to but all men are cattle, definitely. <laughs> you know, I want my death rattle to be in my own by my own hand and all of that stuff. So yeah.
1: Okay, um, the last factory sounds like you know the paper bag factory. Now I want to know if this is an oscillator or, or a vacuumette. and <laughs> if it is, or even if it isn't, what especially I want to know what a vacuumette is.
2: Um, when we get to Man, do, you'll know exactly what a vacuumette is. is. I'll tell you about it. I don't think, I think that's the only one on the album with the vacuumette. So if I recall correctly, uh, last factory is an oscillator. Cause I know Kenny had one mm-hmm. and he, he definitely used it. Um, uh, what I like about that piece, especially coming after the other ones and, and here's where we get into the, the mix of styles on the album is it immediately shows you a different facet of the band, this kind of abstract background or however you, you would choose to look at it is definitely abstract in comparison to the other stuff Mm -hmm. and sort of painting pictures with it. And that's, that's what most of that stuff was aimed towards. And there's a few of them on the album, but uh, yeah, as always the names came after. So
1: what is an oscillator for people who don't know
2: originally, uh, used for, uh, testing electronic equipment and it makes a, uh, it's a sine wave basically. And you can change the pitch of it with a, uh, a big knob and, um, uh, there they were the building blocks the original building blocks of synthesizers originally synthesizers were a a series of oscillators Uh, but if you watch old science fiction movies um, the oscillator gets used a lot Mm -hmm. um it's not like a theremin it's a lot less precise than that but um they're they're a great sound. I have a couple myself, but um, you know Kenny Kenny got one. He, he, said he just had to have one to get <laughs> the band. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, uh, and then we've got I think George's uh, Chakazidu. Only the time.
2: Yes, um, George uh, his background is Hungarian. I mean, he was raised here, but uh, around that time he took a visit to uh, see his, his uh, distant relatives in Hungary and he speaks some Hungarian. And uh, of course he sent a copy of that to his, uh, to his family to make sure it worked and none of us had heard it before or anything. So, mm-hmm. and I, I, he also got, uh, you know, he wrote his, his words out in both, both languages, but, um, that's the story there
1: 90 in reverse
2: one of yours i think ah, it is yep. yeah and it's one of my you know it's funny there's a couple of favorite moments for me out of anything i've ever played on this record and there's a there's a little bit there not just me but also george there's a switch over uh this one's kind of got uh, it goes slow. And then there's this yard birds having a rave up sort of fast section in the middle. Um, and then coming out of that, uh, there's a, a clean solo. And, uh, Oh, speaking of mistakes, there's, there's a couple in that when We're trying to come out of the different speeds, but it's, it's in the spirit of, you know, somebody on a record kind of blowing it and having a laugh about it and, you keep going. But uh, anyway, so come out of this fast section, and I'm doing um, a clean sounding solo. There's no fuzz or anything. In the beginning, it's kind of slow. There isn't much to it. And just about the time you think it's not going to go anywhere else, and people start talking over it, it takes off into this Alan Holdsworth type stuff. And at the time, I didn't think I did much of it, but then I listened back to him and went, whoa. The best thing about it, to me, is that I nodded to George to take a solo right afterwards, and boy, did he take a solo right afterwards because he picked up on the same speed and the same style immediately, as if you know it had just kind of like there was a stream of electricity that kind of went bing and switched over to his bass and that was another thing that, that kind of amazed me about this piece was that he just picked up on it right mm. away. There's, there's really just barely a second between the end of my solo and the beginning of his. And I, I really, that's the part about the piece I like best, but it's, it's a fun, you know, fun little sort of rocking piece. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh I don't think you're using a wah pedal on it. Like, there's definitely a, an no. effect.
2: Yeah, um, I do use wah a lot on on that album, especially the next album, a lot more. But uh, I think there's—I know there's some distortion on it. Afterwards, is just sort of virtual uh, Discompressor compressor and just a lot of high gain on the amp there's no delay or anything. I don't believe there's, there's, there might've been a section, just a tiny bit with the wah, cause I used to use it as a tone control if I couldn't really hear myself, mm. which happened a lot. You, you step on it and you rock it until you can sort of dial in a frequency where you can hear yourself and then you, you leave it, leave it alone. Right. Um, and I don't remember if I did that on that piece, but, um, if I did, it's not on there long. I remember most of it being clean. Okay. So
1: when you're doing a piece like this and you know, the part where everyone, but, but Kenny drops out, you know, when it picks right after it picks up the, the pace, is that like you conducting that since it's your, your, uh, rotation?
2: Yeah.
1: You're just like holding your guitar up in the air or something like that and Dropping the well, dropping the headstock down, or something.
2: We had worked out a couple of um, signals, Mark and I, before uh, the other guys came in, and Kenny, you know, joined in on that and thought of thought of some. But when George came in, he ca- he came in, I don't know, second or third rehearsal with this giant list of possible hand motions, and uh, too many for us to or memorized, a lot of them make no sense in terms of you know, you get got drumsticks or in your hand, or but boy, were a lot of them useful, and one of the ones he came up with was uh, pointing a pinky at somebody, which meant solo uh-huh. and uh, you know, you could sort of crouch down a little bit for a dynamic shift or kind of rear back for a, another dynamic shift to go higher you know, to to um, you sort of shake your head to do something crazy kind of like you're, you know, losing it. And um, so there were, there were sort of signals that way. Um, Sometimes things happen without them too. uh, Mm -hmm. sort of develop a sense at that point. George and I could, after a while we learned where the other person's harmonic sense was going after a certain point, you could sort of hear what they're going to do next. And, if you've ever seen birds and sort of like make these huge turns and make flight, I'm not trying to get metaphysical on you, but that's, it's basically how things would work. I would know what sort of, uh, change he was going to make because I'd heard him make it a million times before and he would know me the same way. Right. Like, okay, I know where you're going. Let's, let's do it. Uh,
1: the next one is agave worm. Just everyone on percussion? Yeah. Like, would someone for the um, rotation make it known that, okay, everybody grab a, you know, grab a drum or
2: whatever? Yeah, that was Mark's rotation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, he just said everybody, exactly what you said, everybody grab a piece of percussion. And, uh, that's what we did. He got to name it. He was the first person that ever told me about the agave worms. It was was uh, what's at the bottom of an, a real bottle from <laughs> Mexico of the tequila. And uh, people would fight over it because it had it had soaked up all of the, the really heavy stuff in there. And you ate it and just got seriously bombed.
1: Yep. I ate one when I was 13 in the bottle of a, bottom of <laughs> like a souvenir. <laughs> Ah, yeah.
2: Speaking oh. to the uh, speaking to the experience. Not
1: cool. recommended. No. <laughs> okay, so like, is something like this edited down from a longer piece, or is it just thirty-two no. seconds?
2: It's thirty-two seconds. We no, that's one thing we never ever did. We didn't. We didn't edit things down. It either plays all the way through, or it's not used. Right. You know, if, if the part of it sucks too badly, it's like, okay, next.
1: Yeah. Okay. Go for tasting. Now, this is <laughs> Kenny with a pretty wild poem. Now, are you playing guitar Yeah. on this one?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I thought
1: maybe it was just Kenny on vocals. It's really hard to pick out the
2: it instruments. Is. Well... George and I could both sound like totally different instruments because he also had, he had a huge pedal board and he also had a set of torus bass pedals. Mm. So and they don't necessarily have to sound like bass pedals. He would sit down and play them sometimes, and um, you could do higher synthesizer sounds. I don't remember other than the poetry what Kenny might have been doing on that. You
1: guys had more gear on that stage than Rush.
2: Yo, <laughs> <No>, Yeah. <laughs> um but um I don't imagine that Kenny was able to do a whole lot while he was doing that poem. Because if he sounds crazed while he's doing it, trust me, he was. Yeah. If you were to see that live, his face would be red. Uh that's <laughs> that's uh that was Kenny. Mm. But uh so all of the little weird Bouncy toys and things. That was that was Mark. I, oh, okay. I think I remember what I was doing there. I had, I have a sixteen-second delay, like a looper that like they have now, but it was it was an earlier one, and uh, you could stop things and mess with them. And so I'm pretty sure that's what I was doing on that.
1: The next one is a raft on the sand, Sansar. Yeah, you're to, you're tuned down on this one. Sounds like sounds like Zeppelin. Maybe it's just the drum that Mark's playing or something.
2: No, um, we all went for that groove. They, I'd been doing this kind of thing for a, a while. In fact, uh, there's a piece like this that didn't make it to, um, a land without fences. Cause it, we had uh, recording troubles on it, but mm. yeah, I, I used to play with a, a D an open, detuning a lot uh i just keep one guitar tuned that way so that's what this one is uh and kenny had great great keyboard sound and mark me what to do everybody kind of i don't know if we would just done it a lot or you know i started it off but i'm very pleased with this one yeah one. um and there's There's some Zeppelin flavor to it, for sure. Definitely influenced by that. But there's also an Amandul 2 piece off of Wolf City. Weiderwind am Ende Deine Strasse. I don't know if I just mangled that or not. But it kind of has a similar thing going on. Uh, Different pace, but uh, Mark and I both knew that one. So, again, he he knew where I was coming from. And uh, the Sansar... Is um, if I remember correctly it's been years um, the river of, of karma Kenny would have known that because we both had the same Asian, Asian philosophy study teacher at the same college we didn't know each other yet I would see him coming out you would see me going in huh. And the first time I saw him I went wait a minute I remember you uh,
1: love this title like a gun I get loaded a a mark poem you're 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 playing behind the nut or something and george is i'm assuming playing the acoustic bass because it's bowed
2: for sure yeah i think you can get this sound with regular picks but i think i had a metal pick i used to play with metal bass picks sometimes and if you take one of those and put it between the strings and play around the strings you just get this sort of it, it sounds like you're beating on a piece of metal. It definitely doesn't sound like guitar. Uh, but yeah, it's another another uh, impassioned, uh, cra- you know, mark piece with th- a similar thing to uh, "All Men Are Cattle," sort of a, a darker rant, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. This acoustic bass that George it's credited on the LP acoustic bass. Are we talking a big full double bass? Yeah, you betcha. And he would bring Uh, that out when you played live, too?
2: No. No. No, there's... When we got into the studio, we would frequently bring things we wouldn't generally take out live. Part of it being they were either too big, uh, because we would... When we were able to set up for an extended period of time, there was room. We could just leave it all there. We didn't have to worry about it, but... um, You know, some things too were just kind of delicate. You didn't want to haul them around and he didn't have a case for it or anything. Right, right.
1: Drunk, fat, and dancing. Now, is this this Kenny on electronic drums?
2: No. What happened, this is the only one we put any processing on. Hmm. Uh, We did, uh, we put reverb on it. And we did uh, a noise gate to give you that sort of electron sort of eighties. Sounds dance. like a sounds like a Lindrum or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the only time we did that, and we put that on afterwards. We did the piece, and we were looking at each other and kind of like, "Well, it kind of works. What? What do we do? Are we going to keep it or not?" And the title comes from uh, one gig we played. I don't remember where it was. But there was a guy who was a a really good-sized gut. And uh, he was dressed in really, like, skin-tight black clothing (laughs) everywhere. And he was clearly, clearly drunk. And he was doing these... uh, sort of slow ballet movements in front of us. And uh, I don't remember who thought of it, but that came to mind. Suddenly everybody was laughing and I like, okay, yeah, I'm going to keep this one, but, but let's make it sound like dance music. Right. So we did that. Okay. Uh, moving
1: off into the long night. So this is one of your poems. Yeah. Now, it really fits the vibe of the song. So do you hear the music first and then like quickly shuffle through your, through your papers and find a poem to suit it? Or is it just coincidence that it works out that Um, way?
2: It's the guys listening to what I was doing. Uh, Sometimes we would give, before we started, we would give each other like a one word cue, not much, but you know, uh, and I don't remember I think I said something, but it wasn't much. The music I, I still to this day absolutely hate my reading on it. I just I would have scrapped it for that had the music by the other guys not been so good, but they killed it. It's it's I love what they did on here. Um, and I had a I had a one of those aha guitar moments too, which is the other one I mentioned there were two. In the middle of the solo, I learned to do something that I'd never done before. Uh, which happens sometimes when you're improvising; it feels like something just sort of reaches inside you and, and grabs your spine and shakes you. Uh, and there's something in the middle of the solo like that. But my God, Kenny and George with that bowed bass, mm-hmm. and that's that's the that's his big upright, and he was he was bowing it, just fantastic. Yeah is a and real so, real vibe to that one. Yeah, and I thought I I can't be selfish and say, Ugh, you know, uh so it's you know, it's too good. The rest of it's too good. I'm I'm going to go with it.
1: Well, I'll I'll have to disagree on your reading. I I think it's I think it's great as well. Uh thank you. <laughs> okay, crack attack. some bongos, I think a theremin maybe. Did you have a theremin?
2: We didn't have a theremin. Uh, Kenny could approximate just about anything. So I think the thing, I don't remember what I was doing on it. Uh, Kenny's got these kind of weird fast loops. They're sort of going in and out. Sometimes I would do something that sounded a lot like a theremin. I'd use an EBO and a slide. did, should I explain what an ebow is? It's
1: it's is it a bow with a pickup on it?
2: It's it's a little. No, it's it's not a bow with a pickup. It's a, it's a plastic goody that uh, you hold in your hand, and it's got a couple of slots where you you rest it on the two strings to either side of the string you want to work with. What it does is it generates an electromagnetic field and it vibrates one string at a time. So using the outside strings, like either E string is definitely um, uh, an acquired skill, but anything else, you just rest it between, you know, on either string between it. You can get all kinds of sounds out of that. And I used one um all throughout paper bag and, and afterwards too. But if you, if you use that on a slide, it sounds a lot like, uh, like a theremin or, um, and you can change that depending on what effects you put on it too. Mm -hmm. So I guarantee you, there's gotta be a lot of that on, on this album. I think crack attack, I think it has that,
1: uh, dreadlocks of steel. So we've, I think we've got some steel drums. Yeah. And some sort of stringed instrument that's, uh, the tone is bending. I don't know what it is, though.
2: Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I found, so yeah, Mark is playing a steel drum. I think he had two at this time, different sizes. And I think Kenny's playing the other one. And I don't remember. I think George was doing something not particularly metallic. But, I had a um, a 12-string an acoustic 12-string and you couldn't fret it at all. It was the neck was bowed and it, there was just no way to play it like a regular guitar. So I bought one of those big heavy steels like you use on a on a pedal steel. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of put it on my lap and what you were hearing as far as the high chinkity chinkity sound is I put the, uh, uh, steel way up, like well past the sound hole and I'm playing, you know, up a little closer to the bridge. And that's, that's what that is. And I would like slide down and slide back.
1: Okay. Uh, fluid dynamics. Now is George singing through something? It sounds like he's, his voice is, you know, like almost through a megaphone or something.
2: No, um, I think what you're hearing on that, I think George's reading is straight, but he's surrounded by, uh, Kenny's rig was stereo, so he was surrounded by this bizarre stereo loop that, uh, that Kenny had going, and that was enough to make everything a little disorienting, but on top of it, Mark's Toy table with stereo too, he used to have uh, Phil set up a mic on the left and a mic on the right so he could do his own panning. If he was using uh, some kind of percussion, he'd bring it over to the left or bring it over to the right and you would hear the percussion go around the speakers without any uh, messing with it after the fact. So Mm -hmm. I think what's going on with George is just getting sort of caught up and all of this swirling uh, chaos around him.
1: Okay. Yeah, whatever's going on with the loops or the turntables was making my
2: cat freak out this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's, again, sort oh, sure, because Kenny found a lot of animal sounds for Mm -hmm. that. Yep. There's like a coyote and a few other things, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, I hate being broke. So who's who's that shouting?
2: That's Mark shouting, and this one has a, quite a story. Uh, you know the picture on the front cover, yeah, uh, with the that's Mark, and this was a particular highlight of uh, of the recording. We got Mark wanted to smash a bunch of glass for the recording, yeah, um, <laughs> and of course he couldn't do it in the studio. So we ran uh, some cables out from the desk and and put uh, some microphones out in the alley behind the studio, laid a big tarp out, a bunch of pieces of glass. And I I lent him the affectionately named Mr. Bat, which was my aluminum baseball bat that I used to keep next to my bed because I lived in a bad area. And he, uh, you know, yelled, I hate being broke and smashed the shit out of all of this glass. Meanwhile, the rest of us were in the studio and we had, uh, headphones to hear what he was doing, but there was also a, um, they hooked up a sort of a very rudimentary video monitor on a screen. That was about, I don't know, three inches. So it's not like anybody, any of us could actually see it, but, uh, and, that's what we did. And of course, that's not the kind of thing you can do more than once. Right. So we had mixed feelings about the music. We wish it had been a little bit better, but it was really difficult with that distance between everybody. So, you know, the the decision to either yay or nay, of course we got to put that one on. I mean, look at the trouble we went to doing it. But um, yeah, he's got That's one of George's fencing masks.
1: I was going to say he's wearing Um, some protective gear.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. He wore a lot of protective gear because, you know, he got cut up for the gig. That wouldn't go for the recording. That wouldn't be good. So, yeah, he's wearing an army jacket, gloves. He taped the jacket to the gloves. And um, so that was good. We actually, uh, there was a, a, a video crew there that night. So. There is video of that entire thing going on and in interviews and all of this stuff, but they did get, I, I still haven't even seen it yet, but it's on uh, a type of videotape that none of us have the uh, knowledge of or access to get to. It's mm-hmm. like the kind they would use for TV news. Right. So one of these days there might be footage of that available, but um, mm. so that's, I hate being broke.
1: Yeah. So this photo then is it looks like it
2: might be off that that video feed that you mentioned. Yes, I believe that uh the woman who did all of that was uh Anita Mardo and uh she now deceased unfortunately, but we asked her for a still from that and she got it for us. So yeah, that's right.
1: Okay. So next we have the epic of the album because I care. You've got a, the yeah. a tape loop of a choir. It's very long, I would say, by by paper bag standards anyways, eight and a half minutes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were experimenting with uh, different, different long forms and, and how to do it. And I think we each took turns directing one, conducting one, and this one was was marks and it was i think it was the shortest of the four and nobody had anything but good things to say about it It there's nobody like winced at any point or and we really Mm. wanted to include one of those and this one was just great yeah it's good yeah but you know it's funny because none of us even after doing it had any idea what this was about but it seemed very dark and scary and, uh, one day I asked Mark about it and he said, Oh, not having sex. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's nicer. Okay. I like <laughs> that.
1: Yeah. No kidding. Memory chip jungle, uh, Mark on Ray gun, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then it drops out at some point until it's just Ray gun. And then it just goes into this Stone
2: Groove, yeah, and that was again. That was just following, following Mark. He starts off with the the ray guns, and I think, yeah, you can hear him doing the stereo thing in there between the two mics. And I think at one point he accidentally hits one of the mics. It's like, all right, it's fine, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he starts into this great hand drum groove, and you know, after that, it was easy. He's like, okay, there we go.
1: uh the next one I was pretty proud of myself. I think I figured out the title. Is it Oral Roberts? Yeah. The two, the two yeah. spirits become one.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh all of us would always be on the lookout for odd things to feed Kenny because you never knew what he was going to do with uh, he had strange records and strange tapes and everything and uh there was Goodwill up uh, near where I worked at the time. And one day I saw this big set of Oral Roberts tapes. Said, oh, yeah, this is for, this is for Kenny, and he surprised us with this loop. And he said to everybody, "Just sort of, you know, respond to it, chant along." So we right, did. Right.
1: Uh, the next song is "New," uh, a Mark poem. I, I think about super. <laughs> it seems to be about superficiality or or something like that. Uh, at the end of this it, yeah. song, uh, what, there's what sounds like a, a balloon or something. Someone squeaking a <laughs> balloon. <laughs> um,
2: it's it's a, The story is, is actually, it is about superficiality, but it's also about some sociopathic woman who is willing to do absolutely anything to look beautiful. And she does all kinds of horrible things to get there which of course we all found very funny. And the thing at the end was, um, Mark had a crow call and he, he used that and then signaled the end. And if you, you can just hear it at the end of it, there's a dead space and then you can hear everybody cracking up. Because <laughs> it's just fun. Okay. Uh,
1: Decisions, decisions. So I, this, I think, is George George's rotation because it's very bass heavy, pretty straight ahead yeah. rockered for you to just shred on top of,
2: which I love. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's outset. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, sometimes we went in that direction, and that one that one worked. Sometimes you just have to rock. Yes, I uh, definitely.
1: Uh, speaking of rock and just another day, like is almost a traditional oh, song with backup vocals. It just uh, it doesn't seem typical
2: at all for for Paper Bay. No, it isn't. Uh, one of the things we had talked about and actually practiced when we rehearsed was the idea. This was Kenny's idea of doing something that sounded like a regular song, you know. And I said, well. I guess you mean like an instrumental, right? Because obviously we're not going to have vocals. And he said, well, sure, sure, I'll have vocals. And so who's doing them? Oh, I will. Okay, let's give it a shot. And uh, he did. He, that was like way in the background when we went to the studio. I wasn't expecting that one to come up. But um, it did. I, we had a lot of fun with that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's an interesting departure for sure. Not what not what I was expecting, especially that deep into no. the album.
2: Yeah, and of course, same same thing applies with the lyrics. Uh, we had no idea what Kenny was going to come up with, but uh, mm-hmm. I think the one thing he said to us before we started was, pop, 'cause we'll each other." Oh. <laughs> Okay
1: makes sense, so you mentioned you know the the atmospheric stuff that you would do as well. this one yeah. forecast sounds like a soundtrack to a film or something,
2: yeah, yeah, that's definitely along the same lines you got it it's um it's the kind of moody uh atmospheric stuff that's exactly right, yeah, I think we i I really Loved the way the, the band gels as a unit with that kind of stuff. It sort of creates this nice atmosphere where everybody's just creating it all at once.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we have, I think, the tribute to Splat Winger?
2: Yes. Here is the Vacuumette.
1: Yeah. A as-
2: string. It, yeah,
1: it, Is it the thing that I thought was a saxophone?
2: Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what it is, is uh, Kenny took the mouthpiece off a clarinet, and the bell off a clarinet, and in, a clarinet in the middle, he hooked it up to a flexible piece of uh, hose, and he would change pitch by pulling the hose out further or compressing it because it was the kind that would like, you know, compress in on itself and that's how he's changing pitch. Mm. So that, that's the vacuum at and he's sort of got this you know, John Coltrane on crack sound going <laughs> on. Okay. Uh, love the last song,
1: perfect way to end the album I think. I wish you love. A really nice poem, I think
2: for mark yeah yeah uh i agree great great way to end the album that was i don't remember what he told us I think it was just something like sad and um yeah when we first listened to it after it was all put together uh, we listened to it all the way through. It was not just the band, but it was a, a few other people close to the band. Everybody sort of had moist eyes because it was fresh to us, and it it was real. I mean, that was about stuff that was actually happening to him at the time. So there was, you know, yeah, actually there was something behind
1: it. It's good and it's cool that you all do. You know, do I call it poetry? You all do poetry. On this one, I yeah can't remember if you all do something on a land without fan. I feel like it was predominantly Mark previous to this.
2: Yeah, Mark and Kenny would try to you know have so many each per albums. They tried to keep it uh, balanced. Uh, I almost never read. This was an exception, mm-hmm. and George started to, to do a little bit more, but primarily it was Mark and Kenny.
1: Now, was anybody doing it? as an extracurricular activity outside of the band, going to poetry readings and things like that?
2: Um, uh, I don't know if I was doing it at the time, but I did eventually do some of that because, um, a friend of ours, uh, Michelle Klein Hess, had, uh, used to run some poetry, um, uh, readings. And as a matter of fact, she's the one that took the band photo on the inside of the album.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, I was going to ask, I thought maybe it was a Naomi, Naomi photo.
2: No, uh, she, she took a bunch of great ones though. That was more towards the beginning, but, uh, yeah, so she would do that. And of course, Dave McIntyre, who's, uh, I think he wrote the liner notes on the inside of the album. And, um, was always with us. I mean, I don't think there was a gig he missed. And from the time he met us to the time the band broke up. Like, like as a fan uh, and a friend. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a point where he was even uh, living at what you could conceivably call the band house, uh, Mark's place. And and various members of the band would come and go through there. So, uh, uh, and if he wasn't living there, he was practically living there, so he was tight with everybody, and uh, he's he's a poet, he's primarily a poet. So, yeah,
1: we've we've talked a lot on our show about New Alliance Records around this time, actually, or a little bit later, really started uh, focusing on poetry and spoken word albums, and I, I just had this vision of like Paper Bag doing Kiss style solo. Poetry albums on New Alliance each of you
2: that would have been great uh, <laughs> unfortunately it didn't happen but uh, we were doing a lot of gigs with dose mm, and mm-hmm. we almost we we really never knew about it. We'd go on and suddenly there'd be a 15 minute uh, dose show before we went on and that was great because we all liked the band and it was always good to see Mike Watt. You know, he was a, he was a fan, and of course, we were a fan of his. But so he knew about it. But um, I don't I don't think you know we were never asked. Uh, I'm sure we would have. Yeah.
1: What happened after this came out? I don't I don't think Paper Bag really toured much.
2: We didn't. No. Uh, everybody had straight jobs. Mark at this point became a single parent taking care of a young kid so unless there was you know a a good amount of money enough for him to be able to do that he wasn't going to be able to tour there were a couple of times we we had some possibilities open up for us and it it didn't work out kenny was resistant because he was working a a really good union job with a a bunch of benefits so he was kind of not difficult not not easily persuaded to do it george and i were like "Fuck it, let's sleep on couches around europe right. i don't care <laughs> um at one point and it might have been somewhere between here and the next album we did have a manager at this point it Was a friend of the band and he went to bill bruford and said you know he gave us we gave him some tapes And Bill Burford said, well, you can get over to uh, Europe, you can open up for Earthworks. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, the only way we could have done that was with some backing, and we couldn't get any backing. Mm -hmm. So that fell through.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think the CD format uh, helped, or did it hold you back? I'm just considering the era, you know, and whether, you know, access to CD players would have... Do you know what i mean or did like did this did I this do. get did this get a lot yeah. of good reviews was it reviewed
2: Ah, uh, you know what you you had asked me earlier before the interview if i had uh memorabilia reviews or anything like that uh i don't recall too many reviews if there are any i don't have them promotion for the band started to slip off around this point but I certainly don't think it it really hurt the band. It was it was a huge plus for us, I think. And right about this time, CDs really started to take over the market, and so it, I think it was a good move on everybody's part. SST were very prescient to, to try and get things started that way. Um, now, of course, none of us had CD players. I had to go buy one so I could listen to my own record, but uh, uh, it was. I would say a matter of six months to a year or something at most before they they became really a main a main thing in in the market. Mm-hmm. So we might have been a little bit ahead of the curve, but not not too bad.
1: I noticed the next the next one that we'll be getting to uh, improvise my ass is brand new up on your Bandcamp, so that's awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah, I had to remaster it from. From vinyl, so that was uh, mm-hmm. that was interesting. But that one, actually, I don't have. There, there was no reviews on that. No promotion in the U.S. either. But um, we'll we'll get there. We'll get to that on the other album. I will say this: as far as music to Crash goes, before we all got our copies, you know, our, our complimentary band copies, a big box of however many, I guess it was the first thousand, came into SST and was immediately shipped out to Europe. So they must have known that there was an audience there. And it, it we actually it happened before we got ours. So if if we suffered from it, it might have just been in the United States, but certainly not in Europe. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have sent out something that big Uh, and there's, there's other stuff related to that that'll come up with the next, uh, on the next album. But um, I do have a fun story about this one. A guy named Brian Davis contacted me through my website years ago and he, he wanted to talk to me about paper bag. Actually, he didn't want to talk to me. He just gave me a compliment on it and said, uh, "You, you guys were wonderful. And, so I got back to him and I said, "Well, this is great. How did you come to know the work? Are you a big SST fan?" He said, "No, I found a copy uh a sealed copy of the CD at the 99 cent store because at this point SST had been liquidating everything and they took all their back stock and got rid of things any anywhere they could." And he he loved it. He and so what he did was he went back and bought all their CDs and then sent them to people he thought would, would like them. And I always liked that story. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that is cool. Uh, you know, the the liner notes are right, or, you know, what what you say on your band camp. And, and Dave's liners as well are great. But uh, I I do believe this is the band's most complete statement. I'm super happy it's up on your band camp and all our listeners can hear it. Not always the case with these with these SST records. And I'll tell you, I personally, it's, it's my favorite that we've come across so far. I really loved it. I really enjoyed picking it apart and, and trying to figure out what I was hearing. So that was a lot of fun (laughs) for me. (laughs) So thank you for, uh, for confirming and correcting me on, on a lot of this stuff.
2: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you very much. I love talking about this stuff and you wouldn't, it would be difficult to, to pick apart especially when you have homemade instruments like the vacuum mat. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. One thing I will say, um I know it's not going to be covered here cuz it's not an official release, but I found cassettes that I think cover the rest of this session. Oh. So eventually I should be able to release just like I like I had done with uh, land without fences, right. I eventually released all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm hoping to release the rest of this too uh, eventually. Oh wow! Um, well, your your
1: Bandcamp is a treasure trove. I, I noticed you have a new a few new releases up there under your your you know your own. Or I'm assuming they're new or archival releases of yours.
2: So it's both, yeah. Um, and you had uh, earlier asked about people doing extracurricular activities. Um, I was the only one actually doing that because I, I started a band called Cold Sky because I had uh, composed material. We weren't gigging much, but uh, that was going on at the same time as this stuff. So just, just historically speaking, that was happening but Mm -hmm. I didn't interfere.
1: Right on. Well, Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Really
2: appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Brent. Thank you.
0: All right. So cool to hear from Greg. It, It is just a... It is the pinnacle of Paper Bag for me, this record. It was a great, great listen this week. And I did, you know, I'm not a vinyl snob. I am totally cool with CDs. There are things, though... That I like about vinyl uh, obviously exclusive releases exclusive tracks and I do like the occasion of listening to vinyl but we've had a few records on the show where there is a CD version yeah. and the CD version kind of like wrecks it because it includes those additional digital seconds between tracks and stuff like land speed record or whatever yeah this record I mean, it's too bad it's not available on vinyl, but it was intended and perfectly fits on a CD. It's, yeah. It is a perfect start-to-finish CD listen, I would say, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and we don't want you having any mishaps with the vinyl. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as they don't mislabel the yeah. CD, I should be okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, on the subject of CDs, not sure about the notion that Greg mentions that you know they were testing the format out on CD with paperback.
0: Yeah, they must have had some out by now.
1: Oh well, they've been you know almost all of the previous one hundred releases that we've talked about going as far back as eighty seven. You know with Swaz Evolution or the post merch comps Descendants two things at once. Uh,
0: lots of CDs. For I
1: sure.
0: almost wonder though if Greg is is meaning to say you know. Intentionally structuring the LP to take the fullest advantage of the format. That might be what he means.
1: And CD being like the primary format. You know what I mean? Like not available on vinyl. Yeah. Only CD. And yeah, cassette. Yeah. You know? uh, he mentions radio sets. Uh, so we talked about these a few weeks back on our 2021 SST Roundup. All of the a Land Without Fences recordings are up on Bandcamp. Like the whole radio sessions that they did uh, as real as life, the 787 radio sets. There's also a set from Splat Winger's Brain Cookie Show on KXLU, also from 87, called Republican Money. There's Airwave Rituals, which is pre-ticket-to-trauma radio sets from their 1986 paper bag world radio tour. And it sounds like there's more to come from, from this radio set and music to trash too so that's cool Uh, and speaking of like this being their pinnacle I will admit I have never heard the paper bag record music to trash so
0: before this week
1: or sorry uh, improvise my ass is what I meant
0: oh I see okay
1: that uh, who
0: knows maybe that's the pinnacle maybe it is because it's live too right I wonder what the video format is where they've you know when during these sessions that they can't find anyone to transfer it yet. It must be a really obscure video format, like one of those Kodak video discs from the late 80s or something like that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, who knows. Uh, there's other cool stuff up on Greg's Bandcamp too. Uh, Kenny Ryman's solo album, Many Colored Buddhas, which Greg assembled after Kenny passed. Um, he mentions in the interview, and I recommend for sure, is his Greg's band Cold Sky. Live at Bebop Records from 89. They're a post Paperbag band that Greg formed and fronted with George Roddy on bass and Haim Sosno on drums. That's worth checking out. Lots of good stuff there. Bunch of uh, solo albums from Greg, too. Do you have a Spaceman spiel, or are we done with that, Ryan?
0: I have got, thankfully, a Spaceman spiel. In true SST form, I thought we maybe were done last week with the self-titled uh, Run Westy Run, but Paperbag is on your Um, And here's what it says in the SST catalog about the Paper Bag Music to Trash LP. Communicating with psychic powers developed enough to transmute space and time, Paper Bag constructs 25 pieces of impromptu genius. Their purely improvisational approach, their technical and inspirational wizardry perfected. They crafted on-the-spot music of a supreme majesty and sensitivity, recorded direct to digital. Should we go through the tracks, Ryan? Yeah, man.
1: History lesson, part two. All right, Ryan, track one, The Fat Lady Sings. Just 20 seconds long, some bells, a bicycle horn, the looping opera singer. It's so short because they recorded it last, I think is what Greg says, and ran out of tape. Yeah used as the theme song for DJ Swedish Eagles show on KROQ. Greg sent me some pictures uh, which we'll post and there's one of Kenny Ryman's setup and it's just totally outrageous.
0: With the turntables and everything? Just
1: everything. The yeah. amount of gear is just <laughs> ridiculous.
0: They might have had more gear than Rush. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. You know. Like at at their most, you know, extravagant, of course, Neil Peart would have had a big kit, Alex would have had a couple of guitars, Getty would have had a bass and some bass pedals, but that's it. Yeah.
1: Well, they all had, you know, Getty had quite the keyboard setup. Since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose, eh, two racks. And they were both playing Taurus pedals. Yeah. Okay, track two, Norman's dance part. You know how I know that, Ryan? By the way, I watched this all three of these. Replay
0: recently. times three. Yeah. Yeah, it's all Is that is it, that the one that has like the drummer view? You can watch an entire concert just from drummer view? No. This is uh
1: three gigs from the 80s. Oh, okay. Grace Under Pressure tour exit stage
0: left and a show of hands. That would have been awesome, hey. Is it good? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I bet hey. Does is Getty playing uh that Steinberger bass so in one of them yeah yeah like that gross 80s bass that yeah. he can still just totally turn out yeah it's, amaz- it's amazing eh? yeah but then he breaks out a, a Ricky for like 2012 the, old,
1: 12, the you know? old stuff yeah yeah you know? I think he even plays the double neck on like uh whatever songs from the 70s yeah
0: well as one does when yeah. you're in rush yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay track two
1: Norman's Dance Party did you hear that thing I mentioned where the meter shifts or is
0: that all in my head? Well, I think you were testing whether it was a, a mistake. yeah. And, and Greg was explaining that they were intentionally like, you know, playing different time signatures and they would come in and out of sync with each other is, is what I understood he was saying. But I understand, I understand what you're saying. Greg was saying that it was intentional. Yeah. But I know what I've heard exactly what you heard. Okay. It must've been so much fun
1: when you got something really cool down in a take and you just knew it.
0: Oh yeah. You would all locked eyes with each other and you're like, we did it, man. Yeah. 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 It would've been awesome. I know because you and I've been in the studio together and you know, after you've practiced the exact same two minutes of notes for years, how hard it is to get a good take in the studio Yeah, and how amazing that is. Imagine just making it up.
1: Yeah cool the, the way they make this one sound like a fade out too mm-hmm.
0: it's got a very twisted warped organ sound on it too that's cool but the drum and bass repetitive pattern I was digging it right off the bat it's you know like it's a great album in that the fat lady sings is short it just kind of sets the stage you're just starting to figure it out and then boom the bass and drums love it
1: track 3 all men are cattle George Radeye slapping and popping yeah. This is the one where Greg plays drums. I, I love, you know, the, the reading on this one. I'm on the edge. I get fucked up on speed and bourbon. Cruise at 90 with my eyes closed. Flip off cops and run red lights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, track four, The Last Factory. This is Kenny's Oscillator. I like when they do these ones, like the abstract noise pieces.
0: It sounded like, like you know, reverb tank splashes in a guitar amp to me a bit. Mm-hmm. But obviously not that. And some cool UFO sounds.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming Mark using, you know, different percussion throughout. And like, you know, like you can hear him like cranking things, etc. It kind of brings a factory to mind. Ah. Uh. Yeah. For me, anyways. Track five, Chaka Zidu, aka Only the Time. My dad's side is Hungarian, so you Are you know, gonna
0: play this play this for him? Well next time he, he
1: visits? He, he never spoke Hungarian, but you oh, know, okay. I remember my grandparents doing it when, when we were young. They're they're all gone, so but I would have loved to play it for them. They would have gotten yeah. a kick out of it for sure. I like the tone on Greg's guitar and his noisy kind of riffing on this one. Not sure if it's a chorus or a flanger, but it sounds cool. It's got that kind of wash you hear on like Susie and the Banshees records or whatever.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of interesting guitar pedal effects on this record for sure.
1: Yeah. Track six, 90 in reverse. A bit of a longer one. Five minutes, 22 seconds. Definitely a wah pedal. Yes. Think. Greg talks about a part, you know, where he comes out of like a blazing solo and nods to Greg and or nods to George, sorry, sorry, and George just kind of picks right up. You can totally hear it.
0: Yeah, there's it, great, great bass playing on this track. The drums sound really nice and live as yeah. well. Yeah. Loved it. And it uh, it speeds up with that false ending that I know you love. Yeah. Kenny
1: has kind of a Rayman Zarek tone going on his keys.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Track seven, Agave Worm. So tell me about you eating an agave worm when you're thirteen. Well, I was I, I might have exaggerated my age. It might have been fifteen or something.
1: But my friend Curtis had a, you know, a little souvenir bottle that was wearing like a sombrero and shit, like it was totally not for cons, to
0: be consumed. Was it real tequila inside oh, yeah. though? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you drank the tequila and then you ate the worm. I think we split the tequila and. And I
1: ate the worm on a dare. (laughs) (laughs) And you hallucinated when you (laughs) ate the worm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Pretty short piece. 29 seconds of percussion.
0: Yeah. Bongos, cowbell, claves make an appearance.
1: Yep. Track eight, go for tasting. This is the one with the totally unhinged reading from Kenny Ryman
0: that just has to be heard. Try it.
1: Pornographic.
0: (laughs) You know what? It was funny after listening to the interview. I'm like, I wonder if Brandt, after he ate the agave worm, he wanted, he was tripping out and wanted to go, go for tasting. (laughs) Yeah. This is what you
1: would sound like if you were like wandering around the desert, desert on like a peyote mescaline binge or something. Uh, Greg told me later that this one cuts out at the end because they ran out of tape. You can mm-hmm. hear it. You can hear it cut short right after he, he shouts. If you believe in gopher tasting, a raft on the Sanzer. I I, I think he said he's using open tuning mm-hmm. with the tribal drum, drumming and the eastern sounding keys. You know, both the tone and the melody. You just need Robert Plant doing that moaning. Thing oh. over top, or like singing about the Shire, and we'd have like a Zep classic here.
0: Yeah, it sounds like Jimmy Page yeah. on guitar, and uh, the music—it's—I, you know, I wish I wish we would have asked whether it was a twelve-string guitar because it sounds kind of twelve-stringy, hmm. but it's uh, it's definitely got some Zep vibes in a really really good way. Yeah. Track
1: ten, like a gun, I get loaded. <laughs> <laughs> a mark reading. Cheat death, fuck off and die. I'm a slug in the chamber of everybody's nightmare, and today I might just blow. Mark's words and his delivery are just excellent, and the playing behind it is perfect for the lyrics. Sounds like someone who's, like, legless drunk stumbling around making threats.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) George's bowing the strings for sure gives it, like, a woozy vibe. I like this one a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And speaking of drunk people flailing around, we've got drunk, fat, and dancing. This is the one with the reverb and noise gate on the drums. I think everyone who's played in a band has at least once had an incredibly drunk person stagger around <laughs> around <laughs> in, in front in front. Hey everyone, look at me Bonus points when the dance floor is empty.
0: yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on guys, come yeah, on yeah.
1: Let's go to the front of the stage and rage.
0: Oh, that brings back memories. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. Track 12, moving off into the long night. Another, another longer piece at six minutes. Greg says he doesn't really love his reading, but I do on this one. Yeah, that's good. I probably wouldn't if it were me though, just because I know how that is from listening back to our episodes for editing and stuff. Uh, I like the reverb on the voice. I like how it kind of takes a minute before Mark starts in on the drum pattern. It works well with the reading and where Greg is,
0: like in the reading when the drum comes in. Oh, yeah. It sounds planned. And uh, the guitar line is super heavy, too. Again, it kind of sounds like a 12 string, but it maybe is an octave pedal. I don't know. Yeah. I've spent my life in search of solutions, scanning
1: the daylight with skeptical eyes. Mortality stands beside every failure and whispers a choice to embrace my demise. Yeah, that's what I put here too. Uh, At the end, it sounds like he kicks in with an octave pedal. Mm, Yeah. And then when the instruments ring out after the extended instro section and he goes, Through the rain, the edge of the city calls. Through the rain, the road leads on to darkness. Love it. Mm -hmm. Track 13, Crack Attack. This has a really great, Like chaotic flavor to it. The way George is going up and down the neck and the other musicians are kind of following him really creates a a mood of scatterbrained tension. Maybe like a crackhead who ran out of crack.
0: Maybe. I kind of thought it was like Dick Dale sounding guitar here too. You know, that fast tremolo. The glacendos. Yeah, sounded very Dick Dale to me.
1: Okay. Dreadlocks of Steel with the kind of whistle and the steel drum. That part gives it, you know, a bit of a world music feel, mm-hmm. but uh that kind of carries the song and then you just got this
0: repeating bass line. I was trying to think what is that uh plucked is it an auto harp? Is that the sound or is it what what's the what's the sonic youth version of an auto harp again? Zither. Yeah, maybe it's a zither. No, he says what it is in
1: the interview. I think he said it was a beat up old guitar that he
0: Oh, right. With the the bowed neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah.
1: Track 15, Fluid Dynamics. This is George's reading. Uh, Greg sent me a follow-up. He says, It now occurs to me that George's voice on Fluid Dynamics was made to sound like it was coming through a radio. I think that was done at George's request by Phil. Hmm. This is the one with the animal sounds in it. You You can hear the vinyl crackling, so it's definitely on the turntable.
0: Yeah. Mouse and cat samples.
1: Yeah. He thrust his throbbing strange attractor into her wet, pulsing, (laughs) bifurcation. I don't even know what that means. Bifurcation. Yes. What is that?
0: I'm not saying anything right now. You don't know? Oh, I think I know. I think I know, but I'm not saying it. Okay. (laughs) Uh,
1: I hate being broke. Crazy story, like, and how it ties into the cover photo. I yeah. sure would love to see that footage that was shot of this session.
0: Right? Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting track, too. It kind of reminds me of the Tom Waits soundtrack to that movie, A Night on Earth. Like, this song could fit on that soundtrack. It mm. could be, it has a Waits type of feel to me when it's, you know, Tom Waits instrumental. Mm. M. Siegel on Struck Glass.
1: Not sure if he... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: Not sure if he mentioned it in the interview, but I'm assuming it's Kenny beating out the rhythm on the kick drum because it doesn't sound like he's playing anything else. I don't Mm. hear him on this track. Yeah. Track 17, Because I Care. This is the longest one, eight and a half minutes long. A mark reading. Again, he just has a really dramatic and lyrical way of reading over top of the music that just works so well. After he's done the reading, the music kind of swells. It sounds like he quickly switches from bongos to his kit like without missing a beat, no pun intended. The volume comes up on the guitar and bass and Kenny really just starts going for it with this weird modulated stuff he's doing. Drops down to a Greg solo, like just Greg, and then the band slowly starts to come back in and they just rock out for the last four minutes. Yeah, The samples Kenny's using just work really well too. Track 18, Memory, Chip, Jungle. Greg, George, and Kenny kind of playing off of each other, like trading off with uh, Mark on Ray Guns. And then the second half is just this total bongo drum, funk, organ, bass groove, jam.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was was getting my Fender Rhodes piano on, I think. Not one. Track 19, Oral Spirits.
1: This is the televangelist, Oral Roberts. The two spirits become one. Yep. Track 20, New. This one falls into the kind of chaotic noise style songs. Mark's reading is about a woman obsessed with plastic surgery. The plastic surgeon took her money and earned it in a tiled
0: room. Yeah. She basically is like killing people or abusing them to get their money so that she can get plastic surgery. Yeah. George's
1: bowed bass gives it a, again, a real ominous tone. Mm -hmm. You can listen for the band cracking up at the end of this end of the take track 21 decisions decisions this is the one where george starts out with a distorted and heavy bass riff that's just inviting the rest of the band to rock out which is what they do yeah it's awesome track 22 just another day this is the the pop song kenny's lyrics are actually pretty dark though you know dead babies alcoholics drug addicts rape war his vocal is really great though like his his delivery
0: It's the closest to actual sung lyrics on the entire record, I would say.
1: Yep. Love how they're improvising backup vocals, like right on the spot. Mm. (laughs) Love Mark's solo at the end of this, the the kind of clean solo that he does. The next one's another one of kind of the ambient pieces, Forecast, very foreboding. Track 24, Splat Mandu, named after Splat Winger, host of radio show Brain Cookies on KXLU, a show Paper Bag and many other SST artists frequented. Kenny is kind of the feature performer on this one with the Vacuumette.
0: I thought it was a saxophone.
1: Yeah, it sounds like one. And then we end with track 25. I wish you love. Uh, You know, I've amassed quite the collection of these New Alliance Records spoken word poetry albums and marks as good as any of them.
0: Yeah, oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. Lost time in a lost place, a vault for what we cannot face. So as I lose this crucial race, I wish you love. Just an awesome way to end the record. What a banger, man. So much fun listening to this.
0: Yeah, it's great. This one I will go back to. Mm -hmm. Does it answer, though, the timeless question, paper or plastic? I don't think so. Is it a victimless crime? Are you reading from uh, Dave McIntyre's piece on the back? Yeah, you should spiel a bit of that, man. You spiel it. Here's what it says. Paper Bag is the soundtrack to the movie version of life. You can't be sure what's happening until it's already happened. Into every life, drapes of rain must fall at the heart of the matter is the fact that these guys never sit still. They jump from place to place trying to anticipate what the next perfect sound will be. Imagine, if you will, a hyperactive child with rhythm. On stage, they demand your attention, even if you don't understand what they're doing. They won't settle for preaching to the perverted. Uh, converted? In the studio, the walls are closer together, and the energy bounces that much faster and charges the frantic, destructive, passive, excited, demented, delightful, illuminating, confusing, danceable, headbanging, abstract, bop till you drop, sock hop of human desperation. Hey guys, let's go out to the alley and break some glass. Can you take it? Are you ready to purchase your ticket to trauma? Your ticket to the land without fences? Welcome to the inside of your brain. Mr. Sleep will be your guide. Phil's at the controls while the lovely and talented bag ladies, Bridget, Mary, Chris, serve refreshments. Lurking in the outfield are nubs and Tom Double checking on the ice pick. We provide a full service insomnia sit back relax let your mind expand let your mind explode this music is not for the queasy this music didn't come easy they had one chance only they took it so before you trash this music be sure you use a paper bag (laughs) (laughs) definitely
1: some references to other songs like uh, preaching to the perverted and other albums like pre-sst like drapes of rain is one Mm -hmm. of their cassettes so that's cool uh Greg sent me some, I asked him to tell me about the paper bag crew, all of who get mentioned there in Dave McIntyre's spiel. He said, Nubs, you've probably heard plenty about, a devoted participant in many, if not all, SST happenings. He was also with us at almost every gig, carried a lot of gear, helped Mark set up his kit, hung out and was always great to have around. Now has taken over Rat Sound, if I recall correctly. Uh, Dave McIntyre, who wrote the piece you just read, first met us at a bebop record show and became part of the extended Paperbag family and remained so long after Paperbag is gone. He was basically anywhere we were and was often with one or more of us outside of band activities. Family is not an overstatement. Mary Keith and Bridget Crawford were best friends and roommates who first saw us at The Music Machine. They came to every gig they could after that and eventually introduce themselves. They were absorbed into the band's extended family to the point where Mary married George and Bridget married Mark. So of course they were everywhere we were. Chris Gruenwendel was my girlfriend at the time. She always assisted when she could. Sometimes this was difficult because she was in school to learn physical therapy. She also took damn good pictures. And then Tom Shannon He was a spectacularly gifted musician and songwriter and also a really nice guy. We met him because he heard us playing live at KXLU and called the station wanting to talk to us. He wanted to know more about what we did and how we did it. So not long after that, we all met up. And bang, Tom was with us most of the time too. He and Dave roomed with Mark at one point in two different residences. Tom's band was Death and Taxes. They had two albums out. A bit like a cross between Rush and Metallica, but Ooh. with a but with a sense of humor. Do you know them? No, but obviously it, I
0: It seems like a band you
1: would like. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm on it, man. Tom and Death and Taxes drummer, Don Medina, later played and toured with Sylvia Genkoza for a while. So I remember her mentioning Tom uh, during that inter- when we interviewed her. Also, he and Mark had a band with Enoch Hain from the Dickies called The Strange MFs. Tom died in 2002. Everyone who knew him misses him. I've definitely seen Death and Taxes on some like Bebop Records posters. Mm. The cover art we covered off pretty well in the interview. I never would have known that was a fencing mask. I thought that was like an astronaut or something.
0: Yeah, it looks like an astronaut. That's what I thought too, for yeah. sure. I love how his gloves were taped to the <laughs> arms of his army jacket though. That's amazing. Dangerous work, man. you got to have full PPE on for something like that. Safety first, man. Safety first you, Especially when you're playing, what is it again? Uh, struck Glass. Yeah, especially when you're playing Struck Glass <laughs> with an aluminum baseball bat.
1: We've got the, uh, the poems or the readings printed yeah. off on the inside of the CD and great photo of the band on the back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Looks like uh, Naomi, but it's not. And uh, a photo of Phil Newman too.
0: Yeah, snuck in there.
1: Let's do the ballot result, Ryan. I can't wait to see what your what your picks are. Ballot result.
0: Alright, so for me, my faves were 90 in reverse, a raft on the Sansar, moving off into the long night, and decisions decisions.
1: Hmm. Mine were ninety in reverse. Gopher tasting. Like a gun I get loaded. Moving off into The Long Night, Because I Care, Just Another Day, and I Wish You Love.
0: The last one. Nice. You pick, man.
1: Well, I think I Wish You Love would be a nice way to end the ballot result,
0: Volume 10. Is this the last track? Last track. On on side two? Yeah, right
1: after Dark Star, the other one.
0: Oh, yeah. This will work. Okay. Nice.
1: Right on. Hey, Ryan, thanks to Greg. And thanks again to all our guests that we've had in the last 100 episodes, all our listeners, contributors, everyone who sent us stuff like records or engaged with us online, sent us emails. Keep them coming. We love hearing from people. You know, we wish you love. (laughs) And Ryan, thanks to you, bud. This is the highlight of my week every week. Same here, man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next 200. We're getting into some real uncharted territory. Yeah, we're slowly making our way to MoJack. Yeah, MoJack or bust, man.
0: MoJack or bust. Can you imagine once we get there, we're gonna be kind of like, okay, so what was that all about?
1: Yeah. <laughs> we will know MoJack at some point here.
0: Oh yeah, I know a little bit, but I want to know as much as possible yeah. before before it kills me.
1: Well, next week we're taking one more step closer with
0: SST two hundred and one, the Sound Garden Ultra Mega Okay LP might be. I was thinking back, one of the heaviest albums we've had thus far. It probably top three or top four heaviest bands on SST, Soundgarden. Can't wait. Yeah, up there with Blast and Vitus for sure. And Flag. I was yeah. thinking maybe Swa. I don't know. But like when you put on this record, it definitely is different than the last you know, several dozen records. And it's awesome. Can't
1: wait. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.